the 17th of July and this is the Sustainable Futures Show. I'm Anthony Day and welcome to this week's episode brought to you without sponsorship, subscription or advertising. I mentioned before that someone asked whether there was really enough information to fill a new episode every week. The answer is yes there is. In fact there's far more than I can cover so here's a selection of highlights that I've come across. Business Energy Tax Reform I bet you didn't see that in the budget. The National Grid have published their Winter Outlook report already. There's a task force on shale gas. Hear what they have to say. Is DEC running out of money? Is climate change making long-haul flights longer? There's a company that will power your car on coffee. And would you like to live in a carbon-positive house? And meet the economist who can't add up. Oh, and don't forget the Sustainable Best Practice Exchange, on the 5th of November. Tucked away at the back of the budget document is this paragraph. It wasn't in the Chancellor's speech, only in the budget book. Business Energy Tax Reform. The Government will review the business energy efficiency tax landscape and consider approaches to simplify and improve the effectiveness of the regime. The review will consider the Climate Change Levy, Carbon Reduction Commitment Energy Efficiency Scheme and their interaction with other business energy efficiency policies and regulations. A consultation will be launched in the autumn. Watch this space and make sure your opinion gets heard in the consultation. I used to be an expert advisor on the Carbon Reduction Commitment. I spent many hours and many emails with the help desk getting to grips with the details of the legislation. I finally gave up because they kept changing the rules again and again and again. Looks like more changes on the horizon. Now here's a press release from DEC. National Grid have published their Winter Outlook report, setting out how the arrangements put in place by the government ensured sufficient energy supplies during the winter of 2014-15. In addition, They have published a consultation for the coming winter 2015-16 to gather market intelligence. National Grid also released their annual Future Energy Scenarios report today, examining the long-term challenges for the UK's energy security. The Winter Outlook report shows that the plan put in place by Government, National Grid and Ofgem last winter ensured the UK's energy market was resilient and able to meet demand. The 2014-15 report sets out that demand peaked at 53.2 gigawatts last winter, less than Britain's 77.6 gigawatt total generating capacity. A mild and windy winter coupled with imports via interconnectors when necessary meant that National Grid did not need to use the additional balancing services they procured last year. Energy Minister Andrea Leadsom said, Our priority is to ensure that British families and business have access to secure, affordable energy supplies that they can rely on. Our plan to power the economy is working, and it means that the lights will stay on this winter, as well as making sure our homes and businesses have the gas and electricity they need in the future. So far, so anodyne. 
The truth is that the margin is tight between peak winter demand and peak supply. The headline figure in the press is 1.2%, which compares with 10 or 15% in previous years. However, it helps to look behind the figures. This 1.2% is the margin which would exist if National Grid had taken no action. Supply has fallen because of plant closures, but demand is expected to remain steady. Imports of electricity will rise, but exports will stay the same. National Grid has secured an additional supply of 2.56 gigawatts for the winter, which raises the safety margin to 5.1%. This means that the critical period for electricity supply could be up to three and a half hours per year. This in turn does not mean blackouts, but it means that the grid may have to meet demand by lowering voltage for short periods. Balancing demand with supply across the nation is no mean feat, and we must have respect for the highly skilled personnel behind it. There's no doubt that as our power stations age and have to be retired, their job will become more and more difficult. Renewables can take up some of the slack. Cheapest is onshore wind, which can be constructed relatively quickly. Strange and unfortunate, then, that the government has announced the withdrawal of subsidies from onshore wind, which will prevent the construction of thousands of turbines over the next few years. As I think I mentioned before, this is an election promise which the government probably never thought they would have to fulfil. Cutting subsidies to onshore wind will save money, which is, no doubt, at the forefront of the minds of all at the Department of Energy and Climate Change. This week, Policy Exchange, an independent think tank, has published a report which states that the average household energy bill has risen by £120 over the past five years, purely due to ill-thought-through energy and climate policies which fail to put affordability at the heart of policymaking. They go on to say, While reducing the UK's carbon emissions remains critical, reducing energy bills must also be at the forefront of every single future policy decision taken by the government. It's difficult to see how these two objectives can be reconciled. I think it's a mistake to concentrate solely on the affordability of energy. All sorts of factors are driving energy prices up. You can blame the energy companies, as the government does, or you can blame the government, as the policy exchange report does. Or you can leave King Canute trying to turn back the tide and concentrate your efforts on managing demand. The Green Deal, helping householders to install insulation and more efficient boilers, was a great idea which failed in practice. It was too complex and too expensive. If the government extended the free loft insulation programme to give people free cavity wall insulation, still some 11 million properties without it, free or subsidised double glazing and efficient boilers, even solar panels, certain sections of the press would go wild. But it would create jobs. It would create a housing stock using significantly less energy. It could eliminate fuel poverty. It would reduce the need for new power stations and the need to import 20% of our natural gas from Qatar. Did you know that? Up to 20% of our natural gas comes from Qatar in the Middle East, across the Gulf from Iran, by ship. And if Andrea Leadsom, at deck, wants security of energy supply, let's boost our renewables and upgrade our housing stock. Oh, 
but the policy exchange report says that the Department for Energy and Climate Change has already run out of money. Spending caps governed by the levy control framework have been breached in all of the past three years, with the report suggesting that the spending cap to 2020 will also be breached in the absence of changes to policies. They say that the government should revamp the Green Deal to maximise energy efficiency and reduce bills, but I can't agree with their other conclusions, which include scrapping the 2020 renewable energy target and resisting calls for a 2030 power sector decarbonisation target. What about making new houses energy efficient? This week we heard about the SOLSA project, the carbon positive house. SOLSA, S-O-L-C-E-R. That stands for Smart Operation for a Low Carbon Energy Region. Built at Bridge End by the Welsh School of Architecture, this three-bedroom house produces 75% more energy than it consumes for eight months of the year. It has a solar roof, not separate panels, and a thermal generating wall. It has a central energy store and uses LED lighting and A-rated appliances. Of course, it has wall insulation and high-efficiency double glazing. We've come across things like this before, and the reaction has generally been, well, very nice if you can afford it. But this three-bedroom house costs some £125,000 to build, £1,000 per square metre, very comparable to traditional construction costs. And because much of it is modular, it took only 16 weeks to build. Maybe it's the house of the future, but unless the government brings building regulations into line with the techniques, appliances and materials which are now readily available, the future will be condemned to stay in the past, and the British will continue to shiver. I may be doing a more detailed interview on this in a future episode. Here's another report. This one is from the Task Force on Shale Gas. Don't mention the F word. I thought this task force was established by the government, but no, it's independent of the government. It has been established by Quadrilla, Centrica, Dow Chemical and others in the industry. They have just issued a report and Chairman Lord Chris Smith was quoted in The Guardian saying, We have not yet concluded that fracking, there's the F word, is a good idea for the UK. We still have to look at climate change and the economics. It would be premature to make conclusions yet on whether it is a good or bad thing. If someone demonstrated that developing this industry in the UK would mean a substantial raising of greenhouse gas emissions, that would be a showstopper. Well, I'm sure it's good PR, but the undeniable truth is that fracking is a way of producing fossil fuels. The use of fossil fuels produces greenhouse gas emissions, and greenhouse gas emissions reinforce climate change, which is already causing serious damage to the planet and many of the people on it. The task force is planning two further reports. This is the further study strategy. Let's not make any decisions until we've answered every possible question, ignoring the fact that they may well have been answered already. We need a sustainable solution to our energy needs. We already know it cannot come from fossil fuels. Last week I spoke about a report from the Carbon Trust, Titans or Titanics. 
the report seeks to understand and explain how large businesses are responding to climate change and resource scarcity. Suggested questions to assess company value at stake. So here's a summary. They look at risk factors from consumers, regulations, investors and technology. First, consumers. Direct demand. Will awareness of the risks of climate change or other sustainability issues be likely to cause consumers to shift their intrinsic demand up or down? Indirect demand. Are there any likely catalyzers of a shift in consumer behavior like moral leadership or campaign groups or government policy seeking to stimulate consumers? Regulation. Technical subsidies. Are there any new technology deployment subsidies available? Direct taxes. Are there any taxes or likely taxes which would impact your business operations? Highly likely in view of what was in the budget. Join the consultation when it's launched. Minimum quotas. Are there any minimum quotas on the use of low-carbon energy or other more sustainable products? Minimum standards. Are there any minimum product standards imposed? For example, minimum efficiency performance. Prohibitions. Are there any absolute prohibition on sale or use of certain types of product, like uh, incandescent light bulbs, which have recently been banned? Reporting. Are there any mandatory information requirements, like product labelling? Related sectors. Is an adjacent industry regulated by one of the above measures, which could in turn cause an effect on your business? Yeah. Did I ever mention the green supply chain? Investors. Direct investment patterns. Could your sustainability record impact investment decisions in your company and your share price? Indirect investment patterns. Is an adjacent industry exposed to investment scrutiny over its sustainability record, like an energy provider? And if so, how would a reduction of investment in this industry affect your own share price? Technology. Existing technology. Will prospects of a low-carbon or sustainable economy stimulate increased deployment of existing but more sustainable technology? Novel technology. Will prospects of a low-carbon or sustainable economy stimulate further innovation of new sustainable technologies? And finally, direct impacts, asset risk. Could the direct effects of environmental issues like extreme weather events or water stress impact your assets? And if so, what potential proportion of your assets is at risk? Supply chain risk. Could the direct effects of environmental issues impact any of your supply chain? And if so, what potential proportion of your supply chain is at risk? And what is the total value at risk compared to the overall value of the company? These are all important questions, but I think that last one is probably the most important. You can control what goes on in your own organisation, well, most of the time, but unless yours is a very, very big organisation, you can't control your supply chain. Don't let it catch you out. I have a scenario planning workshop which looks at supply chain issues, amongst other things. Contact me if you'd like to run it in your own organisation, or if you'd like to join the Sustainable Futures Mastermind group. As always, it's mail at anthony-day.com. 
A few more stories for you, and I've cut lots out. BioBean made the news this week. That's a company that used to make fuel pellets for biomass boilers from used coffee grounds. Now it's using them to make biodiesel. It's certainly not alone. Listen to an earlier episode of the Sustainable Futures show, Don't Waste Waste. It's the only company, however, that has a contract to collect all the used grounds from all the coffee shops in the London railway stations. Must be a win-win. They make biofuel. The coffee shops avoid the cost of sending the grounds to landfill. Did you fly in? Did your long-haul flight take longer than you expected? Researchers at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts have discovered variations in the speed of the jet streams, those high-altitude winds. These are causing an increase in the duration of round-trip long-haul flights. This, in turn, increases fuel consumption, and even a change of as little as a minute can have a significant effect, given the large number of flights. Extrapolating this, and isn't extrapolation wonderful, the scientists have concluded that a one-minute delay to all 30,000 flights which take place each day in the US add up to an additional 300,000 hours each year. Really? 300,000 flights, sorry, 30,000 flights, times one minute, divided by 60 minutes, times 365 days, I don't think that makes 300,000 hours. But anyway, they say this leads to another billion gallons of fuel used at a cost of $3 billion. If you extrapolate that from the United States to the whole world, the number starts getting truly enormous. But I think we should look into that. Can somebody verify these figures? And finally, a report from The Guardian commenting on the first meeting of the Treasury Select Committee since the election. The government has said it would like a 2% inflation target, observed Andrew Tyree, the committee chair. Could you tell me if the Monetary Policy Committee is indifferent to if it actually goes to minus 1% or plus 5%? Ian McCafferty, a member of the Monetary Policy Committee for the last three years, had no hesitation. Minus 1, he replied, because it's closer to the original target. There was a moment's silence as the committee realised that one of the key people keeping the country's economy in check couldn't add up to three. That's it for another week. Next week I shall probably be talking again about oil, but not about Greece. There's a new energy bill, there's a new oil and gas panel, and I'm quite sure something will pop up in the news. I had hoped to bring you an interview on electric cars... I still hope to do that before too long. I'll be telling you more about the Sustainable Best Practice Exchange taking place in Harrogate on the 5th of November. I've been in touch with the private office of the Minister of State at the Department of Energy and Climate Change. They seem quite interested, so I'm quietly confident we'll get some ministerial representation at the event. More details as we have them. If you're off on holiday, have a good one. And even if you are, don't forget to listen to next week's Sustainable Futures show, available on Wi-Fi near you. Get in touch if you'd like to take part in the Sustainable Futures Mastermind Group. That's mail at anthonyday, anthony-day.com. And that really is it. This is Anthony Day. 
Bye for now.